0: Tribe Athlon podcast, finding out how ordinary people do extraordinary things.
1: You can do a triathlon, represent your age group um, in the World Championships and European Championships. I was like, what? It's serious? Anyway, I just thought that was a brilliant idea, and it sort of went into my brain. I thought, you know, this would be such a lunatic thing to try. Me from the BBC Breakfast sofa, try and represent my country in a sport which I've just taken up.
0: That was Louise Minchin, and this episode is Dare to Try. So, this episode of the Triathlon Podcast has a uh, fantastic interview with Louise Minchin. And there's so much good stuff here. And also it's quite a long or relatively long interview. So I decided not to do an intro with a guest co-host. Although I have got Claire Fudge from 4th Discipline, uh, the nutritional specialist uh, that will do the outro uh, debunk of Louise's conversation with me. So look out for that after we've caught uh, um, the interview with Louise Minchin. But Louise Minchin, You know, you, I know that you will know her already. Um, but over the last 20 years, most of us have been waking up to Louise's bubbly enthusiasm delivered from the BBC's red sofa. You know, probably a few mornings a week. But as well as being one of the show's key anchors prior to obviously stepping down recently, and you know, latterly that's been with Dan Walker. She is also a triathlon fanatic. She absolutely lives and breathes triathlon. And she rediscovering her love of sport whilst on a BBC challenge at the Velodrome. um, She's gone on to represent her country at triathlon. So representing Team GB as well as completing some of the world's toughest extreme triathlons like Patagon Man and Norseman. She currently finds herself in the middle of I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Although when I interviewed her, um, she wasn't allowed to confirm that. So uh, we don't spend much time talking about that as you will pick up from the interview and the awkward silence. But prior to her entering the castle, I did this interview with her and I wanted to find out about how she got into triathlon, how she managed to deal with the nerves in those early days when there's so much to think about, And how she went on to represent Team GB at a sport she only kind of found in her in her thirties. I also wanted to find out more about um, having to judge the mood of the nation um, from the red sofa, and how um, she influenced the nation, or you know how she had to react to certain things on the red sofa. As well as understanding, you know what comes after the red sofa. You know what's next for Louise Minchin. So I know you're going to absolutely love this conversation with Louise. That's so much wonderful stuff in here. Particularly, I, I, I love. For me, it took me back to when I started triathlon, and it, I think it's it's just she's just you know her enthusiasm is infectious. And then afterwards, I will uh, I'll catch up with Claire Fudge from Fourth Nutrition to kind of discuss. Um, Louise's wisdom and the stories that she says. so I know you're going to love this interview with Louise Minchin. Today's show is brought to you by Precision Hydration who help athletes personalise their hydration and their fueling strategies so they can perform at their best. They help some incredible athletes including former podcast guest Emma Pallant-Brown, Ph of tested my sweat and given me amazing advice in terms of the electrolyte strategies that I need to take to race at my best. They've also got their quick carb calculator to tell you how you can fuel at the right amount per hour, not just get the electrolytes right. So you can find out all about their online sweat test and their quick carb calculator at uh, precisionhydration.com. And remember, if you use triathlon 15, the discount code triathlon 15, you can get 15% off your first order. So, Louise, welcome to the Tribathlon podcast. I know we're going to have loads to chat about today. Um, I normally say for those people that don't know you, but I suspect that everybody that's listening to this will know you.
1: Do you think so?
0: (laughs) I think they might, um, unless, of course, they have a, a preference for ITV. But I, I, would, I would like to kick things off by getting people to tell us their story. So particularly more your story around triathlon. So I know your triathlon story started in the velodrome, which I don't, don't I suspect not many people can say that. Um, so tell us how you got into triathlon and, and, and a little bit about um, where it's gone from there.
1: Yeah, that's a sort of mad thing, isn't it? So it genuinely did. It started, um, the spark was lit um, in the velodrome. In Manchester, and what would what had happened was I was working on BBC Breakfast. It was 2012, and we were coming up to Christmas 2012. And I spent the whole of the summer. I don't know about you, absolutely addicted to the Olympics. I mean, just addicted. I watched so much of it, hours and hours. I went and watched um, some of it live, actually. Um I got tickets Got you know, it was a mad scramble for tickets, wasn't it? I got tickets for one thing, which was the cross-country, um, horse cross-country. Oh, I lovely. could have seen you there. That was the only oh, the I got too. <laughs> 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 well, they were probably, I don't know what that says about the tickets. Let's not. Yeah,
0: there's just a big space in Greenwich Park, isn't
1: there? Yeah, there was loads. And it was wonderful. It was a wonderful atmosphere, wasn't it? And all the uh, the game makers and everything. Anyway. I just was totally bought into the whole thing. And I've always watched the Olympics, but particularly, obviously, being in London, I lived in London. I just loved it. Anyway, um, it was coming up to Christmas and um, normally on BBC Breakfast. And that's where people probably know me from. We would do a Christmas challenge and I'd only just joined the programme. And until then, they'd sort of been challenges like cooking challenges, like bake off challenges mm-hmm. and various other things. And I thought, my producer said, right, we were looking for a challenge. Have you got any ideas? And I just thought at the time, I mean, I've now been on MasterChef, which I loved, by the way. But um, at the time, I just thought, oh, those cooking things, that's a bit boring. Let's go for something a bit more kind of out there. So I said, well, why don't we do something that's inspired by the Olympics? You know, we've all spent all summer watching them. And she went away, and she's brilliant, by the way. uh, She went away and she thought about it. And then she came back and she's like, I've got an idea for you. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go to the velodrome. You're going to race on a racing bike with your co-presenters, with a crowd. And I just went, why did I give her that idea? (laughs) Uh, Because I'd never been to a velodrome. I'd never sat on a racing bike. And the whole thing was absolutely terrifying. Terrifying. And we had, as good old BBC Breakfast, we had one hour to practice before the big day. Okay, so we went in. And I mean, I'm sure you've probably, have you been to a velodrome, Charlie? You must have. I haven't oh gosh there there they there was nobody even in the velodrome when we went for our practice day but it's got an extraordinary atmosphere it's very intense because you've got these um seats stacked up high around the velodrome and then the slope of the of this of the racing track is just it's virtual it's like a slide it's like a child's slide and I actually took stacked on the top and then slid down to check and yeah yeah it's crazy um so very intense and we got on our bikes I mean we say we got on our bikes and it was you know i've never even worn cleats anything like that i never sat on a racing bike i've never put my hands on drop handlebars i was an absolute novice so i got i did get on my bike and then they've got fixed wheels so when you put your feet in the on the cleats you you, you and you and you don't you, your wheels are going your feet still go so it's honestly it's all these things going on that you just don't know and it felt like it was super skinny and i was going to fall off anyway did my first lap screaming with terror. Uh, did my second lap and went, yeah, you know what? Third lap, I'm in. I'm literally like, right, that is it. I love I love these kind of bikes. I love the velodrome. Anyway, forward wide. Oh, yeah, and then bless her, Susanna. I've told this story many times. Susanna basically cried for the whole hour. I mean, I don't blame her. I don't blame her at all. <laughs> it was terrifying. anyway. We then um, boardwined a couple of days and then we walked into the velodrome on the night and there were 4,000 people and they were having a competition. So they all watched this competition. We were the sort of half-time entertainment. And Bill Turnbull, so I was racing with Charlie State against Bill Turnbull and Susanna Reed. And Bill Turnbull said that morning, he said, there's one thing that's not going to happen today. I'm not going to be beaten by a girl. And if anybody knows me, that is like, literally. Red flag like, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So um, I, so on that, on the day, I think um, what happened, so Bill went first and he did a really good time. Charlie went second. I mean, smashed it, completely smashed it, did a round that, you know, that would have been like a good sort of competition or club, a club rider, I would have thought. And then Susanna went round and she just basically sort of sailed round, you know, super gracefully, did it beautifully but not very fast. So all I had to do was pretty much not fall off my bike. And we were, Charlie and I were gonna win because it was our scores added together. And there's this moment when I look back now and I love looking back actually, because um, there's this moment when you can see I've got my hand on the bar and I'm about to let go follow Ed Clancy. I mean, it's bonkers, isn't it? Um, and, And I make this decision because there's two things I could have done. I could have gone, right, I'm just gonna go nice and steady we'll win the BBC breakfast gold medal. I mean, you know, it was made like somebody had made it in the office. <laughs> <laughs> it was made out of I don't know, foil or something, but really I've lost it. I'm absolutely gutted. Um, anyway. Um, so, or so I could have just gone round and we would have won anyway, or I could just really try and go for it and try and be Bill. And there's this moment when my life changed and I was like, right, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> went for it and it's really funny watching now because I'm completely useless I'm bouncing all over the place and I'm all wobbly and all those things you shouldn't do uh, but I did beat him by something like I don't I think it's five hundredths of a second <laughs> and honestly I went over the finishing line I was just like I, I felt like I'd won the Olympics it was so excited everybody's cheering because we'd had a brilliant commentator make everybody cheer and and just and um, clap and everything and I just thought I literally went round and just was like wow and I just was like bang I just forgot for 30 years or something how much I loved to race and I love the race I love that I don't need I don't need to win by the way and I don't often win at all but I love that adrenaline that buzz that pushing yourself and I'd given up competitive swimming when I was about 14 or 15 and literally hadn't raced since at all anything (laughs) Um, and I was just like, right, that's it. I'm going to buy myself a bike. And literally the next day, I think for Christmas, I bought myself the, everything: bike, cleats, special shoes, uh, helmet, the whole lot. My husband's like, "What are you doing? You're never even going to ride that thing." I was like, "You watch me. I'm going to ride it."
0: Brilliant. And, <laughs> and we all love that 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 day where we go and buy all the kit with all no kit. clue as to how we're going to use it. You know, we, am I going to do mountain biking? Am I going to do roadside? What are we going to do with it? but I'm going to buy the kit and do it properly. So yeah. how, did you, how did you go from getting that initial spark of enthusiasm for cycling to then entering a triathlon?
1: So what happened, then I, then I went out on my bike, and genuinely, it was, again, super scary. I remember cycling down the road and hearing this noise going, oh, my gosh, there's a car behind me. Looking behind me, there's no car. It was just the wind in my ears. I'd never travelled at that speed. I had a bike when I was in London, like commuting, but you know, I never travelled at any speed at all. Um, so I got sort of quite confident. Well, quite confident. I mean, I wasn't confident. I was absolutely useless. I come to. I didn't know how to get off my bike. Nobody told me how to even get off my bike. You know, when you you don't you don't take both feet out of the pedals, do you, and sort of fly along. No, you don't, because you anyway. So um I was doing that and really enjoying it. And then a friend from mine of mine who lives in the same village as me had seen me running a bit and I'm really not a runner. I'm sure we'll come to that. But um she said, Oh, I've seen you running, I've seen you cycling. Why don't you try a triathlon and I was like, triathlon Oh yeah, watch that in the Olympics. Um I know it's got three sports, I know what they are, I don't know what order they're in. I know the brownies are really good at it. Uh, but yeah, let's. Why not give it a go? So I entered myself for my first triathlon, which was called the Diva Divas, which is in Chester. Um, in yeah, summer of 2013, and that that was my first one. Sort of a year, no, six months after being in the velodrome.
0: And it's a pretty daunting experience doing your first triathlon, isn't it? And uh, you know, I found. I mean, I came to triathlon in my late 30s, and. And it is there's just so much to take in, isn't it? And then there's the mm. fourth discipline, which is a transition, which is a whole, you know, you never dealt with any of that sort of stuff. So there's quite a lot of nerves that goes into um, triathlon. How did you get over those early nerves? And I think there's a story about Portaloo that fits in here as well.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you about that. So that first one, let's talk a little bit about um, how intimidating it is. And I do, you know, I still go to some, I went to Leeds this year because I was working and I wasn't actually racing. And you just, even now even me and I've done loads of triathlons and as you know all over the world it's still intimidating because you know yet there are people there and I don't have I have good kits I don't have super kits you know I just really don't um and you, and I do still find that kind of whole there's quite a lot of testosterone around isn't there okay <laughs> and I just find that still now intimidating but there are triathlons all over the place brilliant ones that are not like that and that is where that's where i did my first one was diva divas so it was women only so that kind of takes quite a lot of the stress out of it i think no offense to the male counterparts who are listening to this but it just takes things down a level you know it means you're not gonna you know i've been in plenty of swim starts with with men and it's there's definitely a different atmosphere and you're definitely more likely to get things happen I'm not say it hasn't in races with women, by the way, either. But anyway, so um, I think that's what was really good for me was to go. And I, anybody who's going into this, you know, I would really go for one of those kind of small local triathlons. It was women only. There was only a few amount of people in there, in there, and it could not actually have been more welcoming and more encouraging. But I was super nervous, super nervous. And I arrived, you know, I just didn't really know. I just there's so much I didn't know. I arrived, you know, you've got to really plan, haven't you? You've got to arrive on time you cannot be late. I arrived late. Um, so I didn't know. And so somebody had to help me rack my bike. Um, and so they racked it for me, which was great. And I was like getting my stuff ready. And it was one of the marshals racked my bike for me. And that was an absolute rookie error because you talk about the fourth discipline. I came out of the swim. Oh no. So I did the swim, which I had a panic attack in by the way, well minor, but yeah, definitely had a bit of a moment um did the bike came back to rack my bike and because I hadn't done it didn't realize I I, you know how you put the seat on the on the on the pole so it kept falling off and I was like how do I eventually eventually somebody else came in behind me I was like oh that's how you do it I mean it's super simple when you know how isn't it but when you don't know how and you're in a race it's absolutely no good so yeah nerves were definitely thing. And they continue to be, and they continue even now to be a big thing for me. And there was a, there was a big moment where um, I was going. Oh, it was one of my early triathlons again. Like still super nervous. Um, family were going with me. They were picking me. I mean, I did so many mad things. I thought it was okay to do a four-hour BBC Breakfast program, then get in the car, drive to Leeds, and do a triathlon. I just thought that was fine. Except for my, my lovely husband arrived late. To pick me up. And then we got in a traffic jam, and then I missed my wave. And I'm just like, right, that's it. I'm nervous anyway. And I get really jittery and sort of kind of silly, and you know, can't really make very good decisions when I'm nervous. And um, I was like, right, that's it. I'm not even going to get out of the car. There's no point going. I've missed my wave. Anyway, they literally threw me out of the car, my husband and my daughter dumped me in transition. And I went and hid in the Portaloo. I literally hid in the loo because I'd missed my wave. I was super nervous. And I thought, if I hide in the loo, then I don't have to do this thing, and my daughter found me. Like, what are do you doing? She just shamed me. I could hear her shouting, "Mummy, mummy, where are you?" I came out. What have you been doing? I was like, oh no, it's just my wetsuit got stuck. That's all, and I did it, and I loved it again. Loved it. I always love it. It is. Uh,
0: I think one of the things I absolutely love about Dare to Try, your book, which I've now read twice, by the way, is
1: Yeah,
0: it's because it. I read it when it first came out, and then I read it again just in the in the last week or so before this interview. Oh. And I just think it just takes me back to my early days in in triathlon and all of those crazy experiences and all those jittery nerves. And you know, I can swim, I can bike, I can run. But can I stick them together? There's so many like the lead lead legs after you, you know, when you do your first run after the bike and all of these things. It's, it is a wonderful book. And, and the, um, the
1: most useful thing about my book is uh, when I was writing it, I um, I did this chapter about um, a, a list of things to remember. Okay, and I sent it to my publisher. I thought, God, this is so boring. I said, to, I don't, I I don't really. I said, to him, Look, I I really like this list, but I really don't think we should put it in. It's so boring do you know what, when I go to a race, I get, I think it's chapter 14, I get it, I still get it out, because it's absolutely brilliant, it has <laughs> literally everything that I need to go to a race.
0: But I also think it's a brilliant book for those people that um, that are thinking about doing one, because yeah. you've given them the tangible, like you, you've given them sort of probably years of learning all in one go. I mean, I remember the first book I read when I decided I was going to do triathlon was called triathlon, a beginner's guide, which seemed like an obvious thing to read, but it was full of those sorts of lists and boy, did it make life easy, easier anyway. Um, with one of the things that people find daunting is the fact that triathlon, you know, you mentioned kit, you don't have all the super fancy kit, but at the start, nobody has really any of the kit other than a a bike and a wetsuit, hopefully and some trainers. Um, you know, those early triathlons, people get intimidated, by them do you think that the kit is essential to get getting into triathlon or is it really not
1: um, i think again um no i don't and the other thing that i really found and i think i wrote about this in the book i may not have done actually is that if you can just you know take a breath walk into that tr- transition which can look super scary if you were an idiot like me i'd i'm so clueless triathletes like you love talking about triathlon they love talking about their kit so they are more than willing to help. You know, they really are. And um, that's what I've always found. You know, there'll be someone, of course there'll be people who are super focused on the day and their then way of coping with nerves is not talking to other people. There will be people like that. But 99% of the time, within the three people on the side of you where you're, you're racking your bike, there will be someone who goes, oh, why don't you do this, do this, do this. bottom my thing. So... That that's what I would always remember is actually triathletes love triathlon. They love most of them love passing on knowledge as well. And you also do. to the kit. To the kit. No, I don't think you need, you know, you could you know that you can do it at all different levels. I mean, for example, um, my husband and his friends always do they once a year now they do a triathlon together. And they're absolutely hilarious. I mean, I used to I now I now normally volunteer on the race that they're in because I just love seeing them do it, to be honest with you. And they, you know, like it, David's friend arrives, he arrived last time he did it with his bike. And honestly, it looked like it had, it looked like it was a mountain bike. It was covered in mud. I was just like, right, give me that bike, I'm gonna wash it for you. So I went and cleaned his bike. So yeah, I think you can do it all different levels, you know. And there are people who are doing it, you know, at the at the pointy end, aren't there? Like probably you and formerly possibly no, me maybe me. trying a bit um but you know there's there's so many people who just do it because it's a challenge because it's fun because they love the adventure so i think there's a whole sort of range of ways you can do it and
0: uh, so at some point you got so enthusiastic and found really found love for triathlon that you realized that actually it was possible to represent your country uh <laughs> at the at this sport which I I, and I know in the book you say you just found absolutely incredible. I find it incredible that it, 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 it's something that we, that we can do coming to the, to a sport late. Tell me a little yeah. bit about um, the qualification process and how people can actually represent their country, and also. Um, with particular reference to the Dambuster. The Dambuster is my local race. I live about oh, a mile and a half from the start of the Dambuster. So it's that and the Vitruvian are my two local races. And um, uh, so, and I know that you qualified at the Dam I did. And, uh, so tell us a little bit about qualification for GB and the Dam Buster. Um,
1: So I remember, so I started doing triathlons, absolutely. First one, genuinely was super hard I had a stitch in the run couldn't really run 5k at that point in fact I didn't run 5k I would I like ran to the end of the field when my family couldn't see me walked anyway went over the finishing line and within 30 seconds was like I'm going to do another one and um, so I started doing them sort of quite regularly and I remember <laughs> I think it was um it was in Wales it was in McHuntleth where um there was this really really brilliant triathlon but it was in a tiny swimming center with i think it was a pool might be only 20 meters it was one of those you know super hot there was a slide a children's slide above you and i was waiting we were waiting on the sides i don't I, i'd much rather by do by the way do open water swimming i only choose those now because that's pool swimming racing now not for me
2: yeah.
1: um so I remember waiting on the side and seeing all these people wearing tri-suits, which said, you know, I don't know, Hope, GBR. And I was like, where have they got them from? Oh, my gosh, they've got people who compete, like, on the international stage in this tiny pool in the middle of North Wales. What's going on? And so I asked, and somebody said, like you just said, you know, you can you can actually you can do a triathlon, represent your age group um, in the World Championships and European Championships. And I was like, what? Are you serious? Anyway, I just thought that was a brilliant idea, and it sort of went into my brain. I thought you know, this would be such a lunatic thing to try—me from the BBC Breakfast sofa—try and represent my country in a sport which I've just taken up. <laughs> why don't I mean? You know, you just listen to that. You think why would why would I even think that was possible? Um, and um, so I had a coach at the time, and I hardly dared tell her. I sort of did a bit of looking into it, and I hardly really dared tell her that this is what I want to do because the only thing I was vaguely good enough. At in, of all the three disciplines was swimming. I used to do really well at swimming and, you know, come out, I don't know, in the top 10, probably, or, you know, top sort of 5% of the swim. Uh, but the cycling, not really, and the, and the, and the running, seriously not. Anyway, she looked at my times. Just like, right, you are going to have to work extremely hard <laughs> because you're, none of your times are right, and you know you really need to improve them. Anyway, the short answer to what you asked me was, how do you qualify? You go to a, you have to go to a qualifying race, and there's, you have to look on the um, British um, Triathlon website where they are and how many there are next year. For, I don't know how many there are, so you have to get yourself into a qualifying race, and then you have to get a qualifying time so you're racing in those races against people in your age group and you I can't remember it's like anyway you have to get what is a qualifying time and I can't quite remember oh yeah I can't remember whether it's the Charlie you have to help me here is it the top three I think it's uh, like I, I three think it and then you have to be in a certain four isn't it and then there, yeah. and then there's the roll down isn't it then there's roll down basically yeah exactly there's top three or four and then there's what you call roll down um, anyway I was never going to be in the top three or four um so roll down was i i think i did actually no i did you're right you take me back here charlie quite some years so yeah um anyway uh, so you have to do, do a really good time basically and then there's lots of possibilities of you being able to um qualify including roll down which i have qualified through roll down subsequently Anyway, i went to my first one which was again it was in chester and it was the diva triathlon so kind of home turf for me um and again you know i was i think i'd been injured going into it I absolutely, you know, I absolutely went for it. I had trained really hard. And I remember, I think it was my first Olympic distance. I mean, always, it's, I'm so silly. It's always my first, isn't it? My my first Olympic distance triathlon. I'm trying to qualify for the GB team. I'm absolutely nanas. And it was my, anyway. So um, I remember coming out of transition from bike to run. And I remember looking down at my shoelace again, you know, I hadn't didn't have the proper shoelaces talking about kit. You know, I didn't even have the super shoelaces that you don't have to do up. Had to do up my shoelace. So bent down, did up my shoelace. It was a really hot day. Anyway, managed to complete it in a good time. And I failed to qualify by the time it took me to do my shoelace. Literally, literally. Uh, uh, but like, only Martin, it? it? honestly. And, you know, it was so close. And then my coach was like, right, okay, so you've just just failed. (laughs) But only just. And there was Dan Busters literally six days later. She said, you're going to have to go. You have to go again. Um, And, oh, gosh. So, you know, can you imagine turning around yourself? I mean, you know, I could probably do subsequently. That would have been easy. But to suddenly do another triathlon six days later at that pace I uh, went to Dan Buster's and again, it was a hard, gosh, it was hard. Those hills, Charlie, tell, tell the listeners about the hills.
0: The Rutland Ripple. Well, you told oh. them about the Rutland Ripple. I'm fairly familiar with the Rutland ripple.
1: But it didn't feel like a ripple at the time. <laughs> it felt like the Rutland Mountains. <laughs> and there were people, I remember going over the ripples which are not ripples, everybody. Um, and I remember going up one and there were people getting off their bikes. And I was like, I can't get off. my. I really wanted to get off my bike. I was like, I can't get off my bike. I'm trying to qualify for the, for teams, for the GB team. I've got, you know, I can't do that. So I just kept going. Anyway, and it was, again, super hard. The run was horrific. I remember thinking, all right, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to go home. And I only didn't because I made my family get up at 4am and drag them halfway across the country. And it and is only the, a
0: tricky run because of the psychology of it, isn't it? Yes. I mean, it's a beautiful flat run, really, isn't it? Around yeah, the there's not
1: there's, there's not even a ripple in it, is there? No. And it's difficult, isn't it, Charlie, because it's just straight out and straight back and you've got people coming towards you.
0: That's the problem. You're watching the other people that are ahead of you disappearing, you know, coming in the other direction, aren't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was really hard. I remember at one point the final turnaround, which seemed like 10 million miles away. There was a wedding on the left hand side. Is there a little church or something? Yeah, Normanton
0: Church is kind of our, our iconic Rutland symbol but yes there are weddings happening there so it
1: was a wedding and they were all coming out watching us in our little dry suits (laughs) I loved the swim by the way that was one of my favorite swims it was beautiful water isn't it
0: beautiful water and you usually get it you usually run in while the sun is rising and it's quite iconic
1: yeah, it was. It was. I remember it was absolutely stunning, actually. Um, anyway, so I, yeah, so I did a good did a good time there, and I didn't know at that time, but literally managed to qualify on the day um, at, at Dabusters, which is uh, in, incredible. So I qualified for the World Championships in Chicago, much to my uh, surprise and shock.
0: And and how was your how were your experiences representing your country both in the World Championships in Chicago, and then also I think you went on to represent the um, Team GB in the European Championships as well. Yeah, you? so
1: I went, I've been to, oh gosh, I, I mean, it sounds silly that I can't remember. So I went to Chicago, I've been to Australia, to the Gold Coast. Um, I've been to, yet yeah, a couple of years, one one in Lisbon and one also in Denmark as well. So I did quite, I mean, I really did a lot, actually. And, um, oh, they were amazing. My first one in Chicago, it was an incredible experience. But, you know, I kind of did it on, I'd done it on very looking back now on on a really short run-up actually um and I think that might have been only my third Olympic distance super inexperienced especially around heat I'd never it was so hot and I'd never done a triathlon in the heat and I'd kind of you know really messed up my um my nutrition I didn't have enough uh, I, I spilt my water and then on the run there would, they're shouting at me, do you, want, do you want water? Do you want Gatorade? Do you want water? Do you want Gatorade? Do you know what Gatorade is?
0: Well, it's basically a sugary, salt. It's
1: basically exactly, exactly what, what you need. need. <laughs> yeah. but, but I'd gone back to that thing which people tell you, and by the way, don't believe this, everybody. You know, never do anything on the race you've never done before. Yes, you do. If it's an emergency and you're feeling terrible take whatever they're going to give you because yeah. i i was in terrible trouble often like. they know
0: better than you don't they like flat coke what where, like that one I first saw that I was like flat coke really okay yeah i see
1: why <laughs> whatever you know there comes desperate desperate times aren't there <laughs> anyway no it was an incredible experience i mean gosh um you know the, the atmosphere i mean you know you you'd like would you like to do it one day charlie
0: I would. I am in like this. I think I'm in what they class as the most competitive age category. The I, most
1: I most love when people guy. tell me this. They're all competitive.
0: I know. But all the guys, like the guys that I'm racing, the guys are all competitive in the race. I'm like, so so. let's just come back. <laughs> to, have, have you won your age category? Um, I love that
1: you asked that. <laughs> so in Chicago, I came. I think I was last. Uh, the next one, I was second last um and these are the world championships but yes I thank you so much for asking me Charlie I wanted to <laughs> ask this question I have once won, won my age group and this was in uh the Shropshire Triathlon um in Ellesmere oh my gosh that's a beautiful swim by the way if you like well sometimes yeah sometimes it's a it, it, lovely swim a lovely bike um anyway I did it I don't know what was I doing I was doing oh, I was doing half distance so I was doing yeah 70.3 not this year last year and again, you know, 70.3 is quite a tough, it's quite, a, it's a fun distance actually, isn't it? But um, really struggled again on the run and because I'd hurt my ankle actually, but we'll come to that. And um, anyway, managed to get through it mostly because my husband shouted at me and says, you're not going to stop and come up all this way. You're not going to stop now. 21 kilometres later and a lot of shouting, I finished. <laughs> and then they phoned me up the next day. I was so pleased. I only do this for the medals, by the way, and I love all yours. Behind you. Uh, I was so pleased with my big fat medal, uh, finisher's medal. And then the next day they phoned me up and said, Louise, Louise, you won your age group. I was like, What? What? I've won my age group. Oh my gosh, I would have stayed there to, you know, the whole podium thing. This has never happened to me. Uh, just super." I was like, what? And then I said, that's so exciting. Thank you so much. How many people were in my age group? And he goes, one. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not having that taken away from me. It's such a shame you didn't stay. That. Did. So I'm such a shame sure.
0: you didn't stay for the podium photo, isn't it? Though I
2: didn't <laughs> stay
0: for the but... <laughs> So, is there a particular highlight of you representing Team GB in all of these different amazing locations around the world?
1: I think for me, it's always going to be the first, isn't it? That's the best in some ways. It was definitely the hardest, Chicago, because I, as I say, I completely messed things up and could have made my life so much easier. And what I loved, I absolutely loved was when I finished, um, a whole lot of my teammates had wait, had waited for me because they're all much faster than me. And there's this wonderful photograph. I think it's about four of us all in a row. And we've got that amazing post-triathlon sort of glow. We're all celebrating it the only way that triathletes do with bananas and, you know, and sugary drinks. You know, there's no wine. Oh, alcohol-free beer. Yeah, yeah, all, all that lovely alcohol-free beer, which I've drunk loads. Um, And I just think, you know, it's about the camaraderie, it's about all being in it together. You, you know, you are competing against each other, obviously, but, you know, there's a real sense of team and for anybody who's listening, you know, it's really hard to qualify. Um, you've got to get it right on the day and all the rest of it. But, you know, it, it's an amazing opportunity. I absolutely loved it. Um, and, you know, wouldn't swap that for the world. So just, you know... Charlie, you know how hard it is, and I do accept that your age group is a particularly difficult one, despite what I said earlier.
0: But in answer to your question, I would absolutely love to. I just know that I've got to bide my time. It's like about patience. Yeah, <laughs> I think wait for a few people to fall off their perch.
1: Yeah, and there are, you know, there are. You know, if you look at, um, if you look on the and the and the way to go about this, everybody, by the way, is to go on the British Triathlon website because it's all there. You know, where the qualifiers are, how to do it, what roll down means, and all the rest of it. Um you know and I was like kind of I've gone to aquabike now so which is just a swim and a bike which is again oh my god I love that we competed for that in Pontevedra in um in Spain amazing and oh, mostly amazing because Javier Gomez passed me when I was on my bike <laughs> you, know, it's funny, you know with a motor and everything I didn't actually realize it was him at the time because I was trying to stay on my bike um but yeah go you know go for it and um you know, it does require, it requires being really fast. I mean, that's just the bottom line, isn't it? And that's hard work.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And, and since then, so you went from qualifying for, to represent your country in your second ever Olympic distance triathlon. And, and I know in the book that, you know, stepping up to doing Olympic distance was a big um, challenge for you that you weren't sure you were even going to get round on that first Chester one, were you? Um, so instead you've now gone to much longer distances and and do some of the extreme triathlons did you was it a journey of did you do a, a normal Ironman man and then go on to extreme? you just went straight up to
1: yeah i went from olympic distance to x try
0: <laughs> so so i, I didn't I mean, even
1: do it i didn't even do a 70.3 i didn't just, do it. why bother i mean i like... don't really um, And <laughs> so what happened was um So I, I mean, I, you know, so I took this, this sport up very late in life. I think I was 45 or something. I think I was probably when I did my, gosh, was I only 45? Um, When I did my first triathlon. So I took it up really late in life and um, just ahead of my 50th birthday. So obviously quite a big milestone. And I'm thinking, how am I going to celebrate my birthday? Am I going to have a party? Am I going to do, you know, an amazing trip? What you know? What am I going to do? What, and I and I was thinking about triathlon and thinking you know I've had an incredible time. I've absolutely loved it. I've done everything I wanted to do in the sport, uh, or not everything, but you know I've done. I've had so many great times. But what next? And I was sitting on the sun lounger, um, sort of scrolling, you know, wasting my time. And I suddenly saw this little tweet which said "Patagon man," and I just went "Patagon man." What's that? And the reason it stood out for me was that I had spent when I was at university, just after I left university, actually, I studied Spanish at uni and my first job was working in Patagonia as a translator for Rally International. That was my first job. So I spent six months living and working in this tiny, tiny little place, which is, you know, like not like miles and miles south of Santiago, which is the capital um, surrounded by this incredible countryside with glaciers and mountains and rivers anyway it was an incredibly remote and I loved it absolutely loved it I loved the whole expedition I'd loved you know being part of the um, translation team and and all the rest of it and so I looked at, I, I thought right okay so I'll just click on that and I'll just it says Patagon Man the Extreme race in the southern and you know in the most south place of the world, I can't remember what the extreme triathlon at the end of the world. That was the tagline. Extreme triathlon at the end of the world, you know. Come on.
0: What's not to love?
1: <laughs> I was I was nearly in, I pretty much was, but then I looked at where it was based, and it was based in this place called Koyaiki, which is exactly where I had spent six months of my life. And that was the six months of my life had changed things because as part of my job. I'll try and make this a short story charlie sorry as part of my job i had to do all the media interviews and i remember very very vividly sitting in a tiny radio station i mean there were probably three people listening and the the dj a bit like you asking me all the questions and i it's kind of taking me right back actually and just looking at him and going i know what job i want i want his job and so that's where my love for kind of radio and journalism started um, so, 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 so basically I'm sitting in the sun lounge. I see Patagon man, I see Koyaiki, and I just entered the lottery because I just think I don't tell my husband, <laughs> I always tell things him when things are a little bit late, uh, because you know what, I, I just wanted to see if I got a place first. So I sort of entered it and then three weeks later, um, got a place in the lottery because they cause, cause all, all those extras like Norseman and Patagon man, you know, that's how you get entries. You get through them through a lottery. And I got a place. And I was just like, well, okay, so I've got a place. Clearly, I'm gonna to have to do this now.
0: So you didn't even blag the sort of media card of I I am because it's you know, these things are oversubscribed, aren't they? So you yeah. just I think it sounds like it was destined.
1: <laughs> I do not know if it was destined, but I think then it was the first one. So ah, okay. and it's basically in in that um it's part of the Norseman family, of which there's Keltman, there's all the Swissman, there's lots of different ones on there. And it was the first one. So I think the, you know, probably, not, I don't know, not that many people went in for the lottery. But yeah, I got a lottery place, which was just, it was so, I mean, it was, you think you, yeah, and you think you've won the lottery. You haven't won the lottery. You've won a place to do something absolutely, you know, hugely challenging miles and miles away.
0: But I've got friends that have raced Patagon Man and I've interviewed people that have of, you? on it. And it just sounds an incredible race to do. So, so how was it?
1: Oh, it was epic. It was scary. Uh, you know, had real highs, real lows. Um, Lucy Gossage was there and she won it the, the year I was I was racing it. Um, you know, you, we got up at 3 a.m. Drove through the dark down these tight, these sort of dusty roads that are not even tarmac. Some of them actually um, to this port at the port where I'd arrived when I, you know, when I was twenty-one when I first arrived for my job um to the ferry that I'd arrived on, and then you get on the ferry and you know it's pitch black dark and it's really scary because they're like, "Right, well, there's plan A, there's plan B, and there's plan C," and you know, depending on the weather. And the weather was a little bit feisty, a little bit windy, so. We went for plan B, which was, you know, there's the extreme swim. The, they're all extreme because, you you know, you dropped in the water in the dark and you've got to swim 2.8 kilometres. So, you know. Next Orcas. 3.8 even. 3.8. What am I talking about? A yeah. long way. Yeah. yeah. But next- um, and the Orcas, yeah, the Orcas. And then, and you know, the one thing I would read about the tagline, or I've done too much research, was that Orcas swim in this field, right? So I got in my head that obviously I was going to be eaten by an Orca. And I—I I mean, it was amazing, and and it's you know dark, and then there's all these people again. You know, my nerves sort of affect me in a kind of. Lucy and I are really similar in that. It's really we were we were probably really annoying because we were dancing to Ariana Grande on the top of the ferry. Well, these again, the men were like super serious, and, <laughs> yeah, Zen, and you know. In the zone, <laughs> we were just having a laugh. Um, oh, yeah, so gosh, it was incredible. That swim was incredible, and I'd been absolutely adamant because it's really cold, I think it was like nine or ten degrees. And I'd been adamant that I was not going to get cold before I got in the water, and so was Lucy, which meant that I was literally the last probably the last 10 people to get in the water. And the race had they already, so everybody got in the water and they'd started swimming, they hadn't waited. But the whistle. <laughs> so I literally got the water. I was like, oh my gosh, they've all started. I came up and as I came up, the, the literally, literally the, the sort of horn went. I was like, and I'm like 100 metres already behind the start of the race. Anyway, I had an incredible swim. I think they, what was brilliant about it was because they'd set off early. I basically had all these little people, groups of people to catch and I was just like, aim for that one, right? Aim for the next one, right? Aim for the next one. And I had a cracking swim, cracking swim. Came so in on and that, and that swim. swim yeah. Get,
0: I'm right in saying you get Reynard's disease.
1: Today. Yeah, Reynard's um, syndrome, yes.
0: Oh, syndrome, sorry. So, yeah. so you get really, really cold hands and feet. Um, yeah. In that sort of swim, how are you dealing with, uh, how do you overcome that?
1: Well, what I've learned over the years is that, I mean, I can go into the supermarket and my hands will go numb. So they're, re- you know it's very, very quick and hundred percent there's never a swim pretty much wherever I am and unless, unless it's in you know the Caribbean or something where my hands don't go numb and my feet. Um, so on that day I wore booties um, because you know that was obviously going to help. But I, I know that my hands are going to go numb even if I'm wearing gloves. So there's actually sort of no point wearing gloves for me. I might as well, because I just find with the gloves, you can't, I think I've got this sort of, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I've got this sort of psychological thing that, you know, the gloves, if you're, you know, when you're with your stroke, will be making your arm heavier. So I just think, well, what's the point? Well, Um, Alan Hovde,
0: who has won both of Norseman and um, Patagon, I think he's won Patagon Man, actually, I might be wrong on that. Uh, He's really into his aerodynamics and he's done a load of research on the gloves. And yeah. the gloves do significantly slow you down so
1: that's you know, what I think right okay that's really good to know he was very funny that day because he nearly missed the ferry <laughs> he nearly missed the ferry he like came on like with his kit all over the place <laughs> like last man on the ferry <laughs> I think he came second that day <laughs> um, anyway um yeah so so I did I just don't bother with gloves because I just think my hands are going to go numb anyway I think and I'm obviously hopefully right uh, that they slow me down And I'm a good swimmer, so why would I, you know, make... And I also know that I've done it so often that I can swim with my hands numb. So I know, you know, even I'm not making the perfect shape with my hands, they're still doing a pretty good job. Uh, So I just deal with it.
0: How do you get through T1 when you have totally numb hands?
1: That can be really hard. Um, Actually, on the X-tries, amazingly, you're allowed to have your support in transition. So thankfully, um, yeah, my husband was there. So he could you know undo the zip but yeah it can be really really difficult for me to get you know shoes undone or shoes done up and my feet are the worst and i know that i've i can't, again worked out over time that when i'm on my bike it's going to take 40 minutes for my feet to warm up and 20 minutes for my hands to warm up wow. and that's just the way it is yeah. it's just deal with it
0: but they're not like screaming in pain they're just numb then
1: uh are they screaming in pain no, they're not actually. That's a good point. And
0: my hand, my, I suffer with hands, cold hands and feet, but they yeah. are literally screaming in pain.
1: Are me. they? That, you, I think mine go sort of beyond pain. They're just ah, like, okay.
0: numb. I'm, I'm, I'm of, just not tough enough. I need to go further. No,
1: you know, like, <laughs> they just go from it's a bit like me from you know Olympic distance to X It's just like they're either okay or they're numb. Yeah, and also um, you know they're warming up very slowly, obviously over forty minutes. So yeah. they're. You know, It's not. I'm not saying it's comfortable in any way, by the way. And um, but it's just something I just get on with because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do the sport I love.
0: And and the ride um, at Patagon Man is supposed to be spectacular, isn't it?
1: Gosh, I mean, it's unbelievable Um, and a huge kind of mixture of landscapes. I remember, you know, that you one point you're going through sort of an enormous, this sort of gushing, powerful river which is a glacial coming off the glaciers and these lupins because at the time of year it's December. I think it's in, have happening in the next couple of weeks. And uh, the lupins are wild. They're like wildflowers in, in, in Patagonia. Um, and then you've got the, the snow-capped mountains. You've got hanging glaciers. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And a huge, I can't remember what the elevation is, but it is relentless, absolutely relentless. And then they may have changed. I'm not sure whether they've changed it, but what happened then on those days in Patagon Man is you're allowed your support. There's no official support at all. And so you have your supporter, which is my husband, with with a car full of kit. And he could meet me in transition one. And then at, I think, 45 kilometers on the bike ride, I think there was a water stop at 90. And then at 125 kilometers, he's only able to meet me twice on the bike, which is a long old day, isn't it? Sort of eight hours, I think I did. I can't remember quite what it was. Um, And we messed up. Because we thought we'd done, you know, you know, trying to recce an X-try is really hard because you've got 220 kilometres, haven't you? It's not, you know, it's not like going around in circles or anything. No, the
0: whole point to point thing is a whole different challenge.
1: Oh, my gosh. And and anyway, so we hadn't, we tried to recce it and we tried to sort of guess where that stop might be. And basically we got it wrong by about 10, well, maybe 8k or something. So it's 8k further than both of us thought so he thought that he'd missed it and that you know if he'd missed it you know I haven't got my I haven't got my stuff I've got my food I'm missing out loads of stuff um I haven't got my extra drink and everything um and I thought I mean I was just honestly I was beside myself because you kind of mentally you get yourself to those points you don't you go right okay so it's only 5k to go until I'm gonna see David and then of course it was an extra nearly eight and I was in honestly by the time I saw him, I'd run out of everything and mostly of, of like, <laughs> of courage, I think. <laughs> and I was like going up this hill and I was going so slowly, literally counting one, two, one, two. And I was counting the bricks because they were so steep, these hills. You probably think they were fine after Rutten and riffle, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think they were fine. And I remember just like literally being beside myself and then seeing him on this brow of this hill. because They're all wearing these orange, I think they're orange fluorescent tops. You saw, and I just like started crying hysterically before I saw him arrive just like <gasps> unable to breathe with the crying which meant that everybody like running around go oh my gosh is she okay and you just go she's fine she's fine just she needs a cup of tea she'll be fine she'll be totally fine <laughs> <laughs> I sat down and had a cup of tea and it was so oh honestly you'd love you must do them because that they, the, the, the people the characters that do these x-tries and their families it's just absolutely fabulous you know, there were people sort of lying in sort of seats and having massages <laughs> it's just brilliant
0: so you've done so you've done Patagon Man you've done Norseman yeah. have you got more on that X-tri journey that you want oh, to Oh that's
1: a good point I'm so I don't I think so yeah I think so I haven't decided uh which one I I mean Keltman sounds to me Brutal. They're all brutal in their own way. I mean, the, the elevation, the the thing about Patagonia, man. Um, if you if anybody's thinking about doing it, is the the marathon is so stunning because it's you're on your own for ninety, literally ninety nine percent of the time, and you're running on these trails through completely and utterly deserted landscape with these aquamarine lakes, and oh, it was it was a, a really incredible experience, actually. Um, but yeah, Celtman sounds and sounds. <laughs> I mean the I think there's jellyfish in the water incredibly cold. Yeah, that sounds really brutal, but that's the one I've probably got my eye on. That's is
0: something I I I like you're right, I like the idea of Kelpman, but the um I asked the same question or what asked which was her favorite floor of college, and she yeah. reckoned that Swissman. I mean she lives in Switzerland, is so she's she? probably biased. But she said Swissman is her favorite. She thinks that is just an amazing race so that's definitely on my bucket
1: list and Norseman is the actual you know is the father of all of these races and and the the people that run Norseman honestly I absolutely we're lifelong friends now we really are they're just wonderful and welcoming and supportive and the whole thing about the x tri world is it's not about you know the I mean you know again you've got the flora colleges and all and Lucy Gossages etc who are you know amazing but You know, there are lots of really what I would call normal people who've got normal lives, um, you know, doing them. And so that the atmosphere is just really uh, nothing like anything I've ever done, actually.
0: It's more, I suspect for most people, it's more about completing than competing, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. And uh, there was a wonderful man um, just before um, I did Patagon Man, a Chilean who I'd met. And he said, the man who wins the race on the day is not the one who comes first. It's the one who looks up and enjoys it. And I promise you, I looked up all that day, apart from when I cried, um, and just took in that atmosphere. And I buzzed—I literally buzzed for like three months afterwards.
0: Oh, amazing! And and I know that you've got some—you've spoken a couple of times about your uh, about the the love of open water Mm. and swimming. And I know through the Her Spirit podcast, which we'll come back to,
2: um,
0: that you've got some swimming challenges coming up. So, so what are you? Have you got any specific challenges that? that you I
1: do.
0: But <laughs> open water. You, I think you do, don't you? Uh
1: I don't I'm not i not i have not told anybody this. Um oh, really? I and I don't know if it'll happen by the way. <laughs> but I never know then it's happening. I'm meant to be swimming Windermere this year. Oh, next good. year. I've I have signed up for it. But um And remind me what's the field.
0: distance of Windermere? Ten
1: That's miles.
0: Ten miles.
1: So it's a very long way.
0: Yeah.
1: And I've no idea at this stage whether I can do that. Uh, so the, the furthest I've swum so far and I'm moving more, I mean, I love open water swimming and I'm getting, what I love, I think what it is, what's changed for me is I've done that lovely competitive stuff, which was great, but I'm move, moving more and more towards kind of adventure um, sports really. I think that's what you call it. I'm not sure it even is a thing, is it? I don't know. Um, but so th- th- this year, what have I done? I've done a 5k swim and then I did this brilliant one which is um, in Aberdovey in North Wales, and it's a 13k swim, which sounds, I mean, I can't run 13k at the moment, so it sounds like a really, really long way. It is a really long way, isn't it? 13k swimming, right? But the brilliant thing about it is you get in at the beach and it's a tidal swim, so you get shot along, And whilst
0: it's a 13k swim, uh, your Strava stats are going to look amazing. Oh my gosh.
1: So so normally it takes me about an hour and 40 to do 5k, right? I got to the 5k mark in 40 minutes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But the problem is you're never going to beat any of these Strava stats again, are you? You're you're, you're never going to beat your 5k am not on
1: Strava, so it's okay. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) But no, it was amazing. And it was like, I did it with that whole. You mentioned her spirit, so her spirit is a whole community, and it's all about trying to get women, particularly, into sport and into moving more. And we did it with. There was a whole gang of us there, and honestly, it was like. I mean, I love like things like Alton Towers. I love you know rides, so it was like that, but in a swim. We were going past these boats, and I was just like, "Oh my god, I can hardly keep up with myself." it was incredible absolutely incredible so I love that and that was about I think that was about two and a half hours or something so but yeah it was definitely assisted by the tide
0: and am I right in saying you've got a a her spirit swim challenge yeah
1: Yeah. we've got we're we're, we're trying to because I I mean I just see I don't know what you see but there's a huge explosion in open water swimming isn't there
0: yeah massive And, and the whole appreciation of what cold water can do for our physical and mental health actually isn't it
1: yeah, and I um, uh, so part of the her spirit. We're doing a challenge throughout the winter, which is basically I can't I haven't got it here actually somewhere somewhere around the, here it is. Look, here we go. Um, it's basically trying to get um, people to swim all the way through the winter, so to keep going in because you know I I know because I changed for when I was doing Patagon Man, and I knew it's going to be really cold, and it was a it was in December. So and what I did was um, I got some really um, brilliant advice from Kerry Ann Payne, actually, who's obviously a, you know our, our best open water swimmer um she told me that you can you can condition your body and that's about all the science is about isn't it to be able to cope with cold water so I, I have a hot tub like one of those inflatable hot tubs at home so i turned it into a cold tub so i didn't turn on the heating and during in the run up to Vatican man i would just get in that tub um and build up you know like when it was sort of 8 degrees 7 it got up, got down to about 7 or maybe 6 with no no wetsuit on or anything i just sit in the flipping tub for up to 10 minutes or so um but you can condition yourself um so that's what we're trying to do we're just trying to encourage people over the winter because it's hard swimming over winter to just get in water and particularly open water and there's lots of different challenges um but to just keep going through this winter so hopefully I'll try and do that as well I started in last year I started um I probably st- stopped swimming in October Started again in February because I was desperate during lockdown so desperate and I went in in Salford Keys when there was ice on the um ice on the surface with a wetsuit but it was still blooming awful yeah
0: you're braver than I I was doing quite uh, a lot of open water swimming last year with all the pools closed but I have to admit I did wimp out when it when it got cold did uh, you when what, what degrees did you wimp out I don't know actually I never I never bothered checking the degrees it was kind of I think it was almost more about how that when the clocks changed and it was it was I need I always do all my training early it was yeah. like when I've got to get into a river in the dark that yeah. seems like i'm probably uh, probably trying to switch to um something else
2: oh um, no i, I mean
0: it, i
1: think it, you know and you've got to be super careful haven't you because it is dangerous you know it there's yeah. it, you know, it's not to, to not to be messed with but actually i've got a really good um, near where i am in cheshire there's a really good um oh there's a mere a mere where we can go swimming And i think they're going to take us all the way through the winter so if they do i will fingers crossed with all the her spiritus, keep going
0: fantastic well you know I, I spend a lot of time down in Cornwall and the I love the sea swimming around there I mean it's just well I mean sweetening anywhere really as long as you you're right as long as you know what you're doing from a safety point of view because yeah. it, it is different different um of course but um it is fantastic and and on, on coming on to Her Spirit podcast mm-hmm. I started listening to Her Spirit podcast when right at the start Did you? I have to felt like I have to admit I felt like Not really sure I'm supposed to be listening,
2: but it's really
0: good. Uh, (laughs) You get some amazing guests on, and then I introduced my wife to it, who absolutely loves it, listens to it religiously, says how inspiring it is, Uh, and it is a fantastic podcast. Um, And so, what was it about? Was it? Was it? I, I think it was a lockdown initiated thing in the same way that this podcast was wasn't it or did it exist? no
1: no no so what happened was um so annie emerson who does the her spirit podcast with me is a world champion duathlete, and she and i met because we were doing the triathlon um uh, tv coverage for the bbc and we just hit it off immediately we both I've got quite a lot of background. She used to live in Spain. I spent loads, did a Spanish degree, spent a lot of time, as you can hear, you know, living in Latin America and in Spain. And we've just got a very similar sort of, I don't know, I suppose you call it joie de vivre, really. We just, we hit it off massively. And then we did a, um, we did initially did a podcast, which I was really pleased with the title. It was called The Tripod. Come on. (laughs) Come on,
0: Charlie. That is good. I like that. In fact... if if I if thought about it with my yeah you've you've yeah, you've you've trumped triathlon I think
1: <laughs> yeah tried the tripod come on anyway we what we did in that one was we took three people who'd never done a triathlon before uh, one of them was Joe Wiley actually uh, one of them was Deborah James who many of you might know is a she's got um stage four bowel cancer and she's a wonderful brilliant uh broadcaster she's got her own podcast um amazing woman she'd never done a triathlon we and somebody else and we took them basically from having never done a triathlon on the on that whole dare to try triathlon journey, literally from the start to the beginning. So, you know, we did swimming sessions. We did uh, Chris Hoy came on on our cycling section. It was brilliant. It was really fun. Anyway, that sort of ran its course because obviously they did their triathlons and kind of done and dusted. Um, And then we wanted to keep talking. And particularly my interest is about trying to do trying to pass on this little bit of joy that I've got from doing sport to anybody else. And it, you know, particularly women, actually, I mean, you know, men also, but um, women particularly, because I just think there's so much around what it can do for you, you know, physically, mentally make, it's made a massive difference to my life. And what's wonderful is that I do get, you know, responses from people who read my book, who've gone and done a triathlon because they read that book or so that's my, my whole thing is to kind of like try and pass on the joy, of moving that's probably simply how to put it um and somebody a male from her spirit came and talked to us before lockdown about doing a podcast and we're like yeah really good idea let's do that let's get some amazing women on and you know hopefully pass on knowledge and pass on encouragement and we did our first two podcasts at the beginning of march 2020 (laughs) 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 and we did them in a studio yep all hugger mugger Tiny little studio, virtually sitting on each other's knee. Literally the week later, we were in lockdown. And we were going to do once a month, but then we thought, well, we're in lockdown, let's do once a week. So we went to once a week. Um, At the moment, we're at once every two weeks. Um, And it's, you know, it's been, I've really enjoyed it. We we have spoken to some incredible women and we're going to carry on. We might check, you know, always looking at what we do differently. But I think that whole message about, yeah, people can go away and, and think, right, OK, today I'm going to do something different then, then we're winning.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, my my podcast was created purely in lockdown of sitting there going, I've suddenly got a lot more time than I used <laughs> to have. Uh, but it is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Just this, you know, this, this ability to sort of get in contact with people that have done <laughs> amazing things and just chat about the sport that you love. Yeah. And, and also, you know, you learn so much by doing that, don't you?
1: Yeah, we've learned so much. And we've, you know, um, this week we've been talking to um, Dr. Megan Rossi, she's called, who is, um, she's a gut health doctor. Absolutely brilliant. And, you know, we do, what we do, it's really funny. I don't, it's probably like you. I know you've been asking me, thank you very much, by the way, for a while, but, you know, you can you can set your sights high, can't you, or whatever. I mean, some of your guests are incredible. Um, so, you know, when we sort of stalk people, we're like, right, okay, Megan, I've been trying to get for eight months. She's had a baby. And now eventually we got her on the podcast. You see what to I me. Mean? Well, so that's, that's,
0: that's it. It's like me and the brownies. I keep stalking them from different. You get angles. there. Yeah, I know. I keep nudging them. Go
1: for, go for Johnny.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Johnny um,
1: will say yes.
0: <laughs> um, well, maybe you can. You can. You can be another person that gives just a little nudge. A little nudge. <laughs> um, so. So how, um, you know, you've just come to the end of a, a significant chapter in your life, haven't you? You've done 20 years on the red sofa. Um, what, what are the, I, I think, before we kind of talk about the next chapter, yeah. what have been the highlights of your 20 years on the red sofa? Because, I mean, you've witnessed some incredible things in that time, haven't you?
1: Um, yeah, what are the highlights? I mean, yeah, it's been um it's been, you know, twenty years is a is a hell of a thing, isn't it? And it's just literally in December, so pretty much when this podcast goes out, it's the twenty fourth of December, twenty years ago that I did, it was the first time I presented BBC Breakfast, and I think you know twenty fourth of December tells you a story, doesn't it? Basically, everybody else it was Christmas Eve,
0: <laughs> no one wanted it.
1: Everybody else was off, <laughs> um, and then I didn't start presenting the program permanently as a sort of you know. Well, I mean, I thought, you know, over many years. I did lots of the program, but actually, as one of the sort of main anchors, nine and a half years ago. Um, so, and it was a job I always, I just love BBC Breakfast because I just love the, um, I love the mix, the eclectic mix of, you know, the really hard news stories and also those human interest stories. Those wonderful, warming things that make you you know want to give money or give or whatever it is you know we've had so many over the last particularly the last two years actually um so highlights yeah difficult I mean there have been some terrible you know obviously I've covered some horrific stories mm-hmm. um stories that you know affect all. I mean that affect all of us or that you know terrible things like the Manchester bombing which I live you know I moved to the northwest when BBC breakfast moved to the northwest and that Manchester bombing we could very have easily been there on that night my daughter had wanted to go to that concert and i had said to her no because she was doing her GCSEs so but for her doing her GCSEs we could very well have been there so that really felt very um you know part of my community you know impact, right at the heart of kind of my community and where we were so you know there are things that you know stay with you forever really um and you know, it was what was the most kind of it was been really yeah the last two years sort of reporting on a story that we we were also living through, you know, like everybody else was a, an extraordinary and kind of um, grueling thing to do, actually, because, you know, we're not just reporting on it. We're, you know, I, I luckily, very luckily, and I touch wood, have not been badly affected by the immediate impact of coronavirus, but every single one of us has been impacted, haven't we? So, you know, there's been some tough times and highlights for me. Um, I mean, the Velodrome, things like that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I've had some incredible opportunities. I've got this ridiculous list. I did a list of people that I've interviewed, and honestly, I've had to look at it and go, really? Yes, really. Everybody from Ed Sheeran to to um, David Attenborough to Chris Hoy, I mentioned him. I don't know why I mentioned Chris Rice. Um, all those Olympians, you know, I'm incredibly lucky and I will probably never get opportunities like that again. But, you know, they've all gone in my little memory bank or certainly my little photo bank. It's brilliant. Yeah, I think
0: it feels like you have to sort of almost gauge the mood, mood of the nation on that, on that, you know, because everyone, well, not everyone, but the majority, I would imagine, of people are waking up and starting their day, Um watching you guys on the red sofa is that sort of uh, quite a, is, is that a sort of a, a quite a burden to take on or do you just have to just crack on and 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 deal? Do, do you put thought into that
1: oh yes absolutely my main thought is always that um for example i feel very much part of this huge enormous bbc breakfast family because people are welcoming me into their homes at kind of quite a vulnerable time of day actually mm-hmm. because you know you might be there and watching a bit of telly and you might have a five-year-old pop out you might pop out to make a cup of tea and the five-year-old is still watching so i'm always very conscious that it's a particular time of day and anybody of any age could be watching so for example on that day of that awful day of the manchester bombings i have to tell the news in a way that is factual but not but get the tone right mm. you know what i mean i don't want to scare people you know it's already horrific what the facts are already horrific enough so I don't want I'm very very conscious was always very conscious that I didn't want to you know you just you just need to get it right do you sort of mean and I'm not saying I did all the time but hopefully on that day at least you know because it's a matter of respect for the people who've died and all of their loved ones isn't it as well as everybody else so yeah it definitely was um something I took really seriously because you know it's a big responsibility to tell people bad things, isn't it? And to tell them in a way that is not alarmist. I think that was always what it was, to tell them with kindness and with warmth and all the rest of it. So yeah, it was definitely something that I was very conscious about, but but mostly because it was I suppose it was like I was talking to my family, and my family mm-hmm. may have a huge age range as well. But yeah, it was um it was an incredible thing to be able to do. Um, you talked about my proudest moment. And actually, um, it's kind of sounds a bit weird, but and you probably don't normally talk about menopause on your podcast.
0: But you'd be surprised, actually, we've <laughs> covered it once or twice. So, because that's even on my list of things to talk to you about. So, this is the perfect. Oh,
1: segment. is it okay? <laughs> um, so, I think my proudest moment was when. Um, We did. Is again, you know, my producers. Obviously, I have quite like conversations with them, and I give them ideas, and then they make them into much better things than the ideas I give them. Um, So I'd asked for ages if we could do something about menopause um, on the program because a I was going through it myself, and b I knew that there was a huge response from the audience every time we mentioned it, even slightly. There was just this massive response, and I, you know, I was super ignorant about it, and I thought that maybe we could do something to kind of like you know open open up the conversation, break down taboos and and hopefully educate people. You know, even, you know, lots of people. Um, and um, anyway, so I told my producer, can we do something about menopause? Can we do something about... Menopause? I kept nagging. I'm, a re- I'm an endurance athlete. <laughs> you know, you never want to mess with one of them, do you? Because they're never going to stop nagging. <laughs> so, you know, there was always, there was always, oh, no, there's a general election. I accept that has to be covered. There was Brexit. I accept that has to be covered. But eventually, um, she said to me, right, We're gonna do menopause. We're gonna do a whole week. I'm like, what? Are you serious? She's going, yeah, we're gonna do this, that. She has all these amazing ideas. And she says, and we're gonna, and the only way it's gonna work is if you tell your story. And I'm like, that wasn't the deal. (laughs) 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 And she goes, you you know, Louise, it's gonna work much better if you open up and talk about it. I'm like, yeah, I know that. But anyway, she, she persuaded me that I would tell everybody. Oh my god it's so embarrassing isn't it No it's not embarrassing it's really good I tell 6 million people that I had been you know suffering from menopausal symptoms while sitting on BBC breakfast sofa And the reason I'm proud is that it had a massive impact and it's still 2 years on you know people you know the the whole conversation has hopefully moved on um and people you know that that week and I'm not being boastful changed people's lives because there were so many people who got help because of because they realized what was going on were able to access help, were able to know that they weren't alone. Uh, so, many, so many men got in touch with me, me personally actually, saying, look, Louise, you've completely changed things for me. I was really worried about my loved one and, you know, and now I understand what's going on. So it just genuinely, hopefully, really kind of tumbled things around a, a bit and then hopefully threw things up in the air and then lots of people came down with, with really huge positive change to their life. So that's what I was really, really proud of doing that.
0: Fantastic! Uh, that's uh, is brilliant, and and so you've come to the end of this twenty year chapter.
1: What's We're getting the next difficult questions now, Charlie?
0: Yeah, what's, <laughs> the, what's uh, Well, I know one thing that's in the next uh, next chapter because it's uh, it, it would normally involve a jungle, wouldn't it? But it's now a castle. So you're going to know what
1: you're talking about.
0: You're <laughs> you're going to be part of I'm a celebrity, aren't you?
1: I don't know what you're talking about, Charlie. <laughs>
0: Well, you're endurance athletes. So I'm sure you will do very well in in this environment.
1: <laughs> I literally have no idea what you're referring to. <laughs> um, so, next 20 years, gosh, I mean, I, what a question that is. That's really because, oh, gosh, I mean, I didn't, you know, I did not give up my job lightly at all. Um, I really, really loved it, loved it. And, but, you know, at the end of the day, what happened was the hours, I think, just got to me. And I'm not made for those hours. Um, you know, when I'm left to my own devices, I'll wake up really late. I go to bed really late. Um, so that's what eventually kind of like ground me down. And I genuinely just on focused? that
0: note, Dan yeah. Walker. I don't know if you saw it this morning. Said uh, that he yesterday he fell asleep standing up. So that's a pretty good indication that he's not getting enough sleep as well.
1: Oh no, but he's absolutely. He never. He honestly. He's. He told me. I phoned him the other day. And he says he's been falling asleep during phone calls. <laughs> But he doesn't sleep. I mean, I, you know, I coped with it because I was really, you know, I was really kind of um, precise about my sleeping because I just knew I couldn't get through if I didn't take it kind of seriously, do you sort of mean? And I probably would have had, you know, I don't know, you know, I could have had long term health impacts if you don't personally. Um, So I used to, you know, sleep in the afternoon. I'd kind of, you know, I was really, really, really good about that. But, yeah, it it was absolutely exhausting. And Dan doesn't hardly sleep at all. I mean, even... You know, he'd, he's up late, he watches telly, he doesn't take naps. I'd have literally an hour and a half every single afternoon, come rain or sunshine or a beautiful sunny day. That's what I'd have to do. So, yeah, so um, so I'm enjoying, my gosh, I'm enjoying the lions. I'm up a, bit, a little bit early today to talk to you, to be honest. <laughs> it was nine o'clock.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you've missed BBC Breakfast already then. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not? Normally I would wake up when the programme ends. So, yeah, it's a really difficult. It's, I can't really answer the question about what what the next 20 years holds. And um, there are lots of people, as you've already indicated, asking me to do lots of different things, which is super exciting. Um, I'm saying no to to absolutely masses of things. Um, I think what I've learned in the last five, six weeks is I'm not saying no to enough things because, you know, there's lots of things I want to do. Um, I want to I'm writing a book and I know you're going to talk to me about that. Um, I want to do that. Um, I want to carry on with my podcast. I want to be, you know, carry on on that whole journey about which is, as I say, passing on the magic of movement. Um, But no, I have nothing set in stone at all, and that feels good. That feels really good because I don't know, you know, this time next year, I literally don't know what I will have done, which is really exciting.
0: Really exciting. Yeah, that is that is amazing. And, and you scary mentioned, but exciting. Scary, but I'm like, yeah, but look, you know that. Where 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 you've created a vacuum, you can now look at what and, and the key is not to say yes to too many things, isn't it?
1: But that's that's what everybody and I knew when I was doing breakfast that you know I'm so involved in the program and you know the program is not I'm not just working on the program for those three and a quarter hours. It's sort of like it's not 24 hours a day, but all the time I'm watching the news and I'm listening to this and I'm watching that, you know, and all, all you know all the time I'm in con- was in constant preparation for it. And, you know, you say that thing about, you know, I I just knew when I was there, I couldn't decide what I was going to do next. So I knew I had to sort of step away, create a blank space. Um, But you're right. And and into that space comes lots of different things. And I think, you know, as I say, I haven't made decisions. It's, um, you know, and we'll see and we'll just wait and see. But, yeah, you know, you close one door and they say that thing that it sounds like a terrible cliche. Close one door. Lots of others will open. That is true. I don't know which ones I'm going to walk through, but you know there are definitely doors opening and they're super exciting and I'm having really interesting conversations with people I wouldn't have had conversations with before.
0: Yeah. And, and we've talked about your first book, Dare to Try, which, yes. which is brilliant. And I know has inspired lots of people to, to get into triathlon and, and just been enjoyed by people that already enjoy triathlon. Um, but you're on your next, one of your next projects is you're writing a, another book, aren't you? Uh, which i'm delighted to hear about so tell me about that next book
1: and i've told you you got that i can't be on this call for very long because i'm literally in the middle of a writing what i call a writing week um so it's called adventures with superwomen i always love a title (laughs) 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 start with the title and then work backwards which is really quite alarming it's called Adventures with Superwomen and it's a mixture of everything we've been talking about it's a mixture of my love of sport and meeting and talking to other people um and I'm talking to women particularly because you know I think to be very honest that often women's stories don't get told and I'm really passionate about that and I'm really passionate about giving people you know letting them have a space to have be able to tell their stories uh, so what? So the basic premise is that I go and I meet these amazing women and I go and do the sport that they love. And it's been so, so far, it's been, I've done five so far. And they've literally been five of my best days since I've left BBC Breakfast because, you know, I go and do, you know, I love sport and I love other people's sports. And so many of these things I've never even done before um and then i just get to chat and the wonderful thing about doing it as a book and not doing it on telly is that you get a very different conversation because you haven't got all the tv cameras it sounds silly in a way or not even a podcast you know it's just me and them chatting and it's been a great experience and as today is literally one of my writing days um i love writing but i also hate it because <laughs> i you know i don't know what do you write at all
0: i do I, I've, I, I have four books published
1: oh my gosh i didn't know that i feel terrible
0: no, no, no. That's absolutely fine. Do you they're, love they're and hate quite, it. Pardon?
1: Do you love and hate it.
0: I, 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 um, I do love and hate it. But I know that I am a much happier person when I'm writing than when I, I when I don't have a creative project on the go. So I know yeah. it does do a lot of good.
1: That's very interesting. Um, I love the actual writing. What I, what I, what I, I just yes, of course you know because you have to do the research, and I think you know, I just want to get in and do the writing, do you know what I mean? And time, uh, you know, that's why I've given you a deadline today because I just find, you know, I'll go, right, I'm going to write for, for 45 minutes and, and it goes so quick. Mm. There's nothing in life like writing time for me. And I just find, yeah, I'm really, in, really enjoying it. But that's whole thing, isn't there, about deadlines and I know when the deadline is and I'm already like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure I'm going to make the deadline. And I know they can move a bit. Are you good with your deadlines?
0: Uh well they're usually my deadlines rather okay. than I'm I'm kind of normally setting my own deadlines. So yes, they can move a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a deadline and gosh, um you know, that's it, it's August. I don't think I mean, you know, uh, if I can make it by August, it would be amazing. But yeah, I, I really have to set myself, you know, like today. I was meant to finish this chapter that I'm writing. I was meant to finish it yesterday and a hundred percent much must finish it today. But yeah, I'm absolutely loving it and I'm loving meeting all these women and hopefully. It won't be out for some time yet because publishing again is so strange to me. Working on live television, you know, it's just like bang out, obviously gone, finished. And publishing has such a long lead time. Yeah, it takes. Forever, uh, but yeah, it's yeah, I'm very excited about that.
0: It sounds similar to not in a. Uh, I hope this is not sounded like a criticism. But it sounds similar to the concept of Alistair Brownlee's um book *Relentless*, where he went off and interviewed different sports people like Ronnie O'Sullivan, Killian Jornet, um, footballers, cricketers, and it and it's absolutely brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. So um, yeah, I can't wait to, uh,
1: hopefully uh, it'll work.
0: If, I, if I'm, if I'm allowed to read Adventures of Superwomen.
1: Of course um, you are. And then, you know, that, that's not to say that Adventures of Supermen can't be written afterwards, is there? No,
0: well, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that'll be, there'll be a follow-up for that. Um, and so, talk. We've talked about your books, but are there any other books? I always ask people: Are there any other books that have inspired you on your journey, or you find yourself recommending to other people?
1: Um, I read Chrissy Wellington's book, oh, um, yeah. which I really enjoyed. And then there's that book, and I can't remember. I haven't got it on me here. But there's book. There's that book about that epic Kona battle. I oh,
0: um, uh, Iron so. War.
1: Oh, I love. I'm trying I to get that made not. into a movie.
0: Oh, wouldn't it be brilliant? Yes.
1: That's my, literally my favourite triathlon book.
0: The only the only thing is, my understanding is that that um, Mark Allen and Dave Scott actually don't like the book. Uh, obviously, the guys that feature in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so maybe that might be a challenge on the film side, but it is a great book. I, I totally
1: agree. Well, with I that mean, that. they don't. I just think it's such an epic story, isn't it? And yeah. I love that about. So you, yeah, those would be my my kind of most my triathlon books. And then I had all sorts of um, I can't, you know, what was it? Um, I can't remember What is that one is called. Something like "get the fuck up" or something, or "get the fuck on with it." <laughs> what is it called? Is it, uh, Sorry, you don't have to be cut out.
0: No, no, that's fine. We, we we can allow it. We can allow you to swear. Uh, is it the? I'm just quoting a book? What is it? the subtle art of not giving a fuck
1: yes yeah that one as well
0: that is a if, if anyone's going to read that i would suggest listening to the audio book instead because oh, really it, oh my god i i don't think i've ever laughed so much through a personal development book it is just because well i mean maybe you laughed as much through through reading it but there are some lines in there and you're like that is i mean i can't believe you're telling me in that way <laughs> yeah. Definitely, if you're not offended by swear words you should not read that <laughs> book <laughs>
1: Um, so yeah, I'm not a big, I'm not a big self-help book person really. And that's the other thing that I'm really excited about, um, it, leaving breakfast as well is that I can, cause, cause I used to be this big pile beside my bed of books that I, you know, I mean, you know, would have to read. So I didn't have a, you know, there was often, I was reading all the time, but it was always books that I had to read for the program. So now being able to read books that I want to read is a massive joy actually for me absolute joy
0: brilliant and, and you I know you've had an ankle operation haven't you yes yeah. kind of, how are you on that recovery journey are you you know
1: oh gosh so that so my ankle operation happened so when I was training for so I did Patagon Man and then about gosh was it uh six months later seven months later I did Norseman, Man um and obviously I had to train in between the two didn't I and I was training for Norse training for Norseman and I was doing my last run. You know what it's like, there's pressures on, you've done all the big runs. This is my big last run um, and I was going, so I ran up Snowden and ran down Snowden, which was amazing by the way. And I didn't actually for me run both, pretty much both ways. I turned off my Garmin, massive, I'm not on Strava, but I love my Garmin. Turned off my Garmin to get all the stats and my ankle went over on the curb of the pavement. So I'd finished my run and it was one of those days where I was super under pressure because I was ha- actually having my 50th birthday party, even though I was 51 that, that week, that weekend. And um, my, my, my husband, David had said to me, don't go, don't go to Snowden. It's ridiculous. You're going to hurt yourself. I was like, no, why am not. It's, it's going to be totally fine. I'm just going to run up to Snowdon, run down Snowden, and be totally fine. And that was totally fine. What was not fine was walking on the pavement to the car oh my gosh anyway I went over my ankle and literally I felt something rip and I was like oh and you know that pain or that you know when you're really in pain that kind of sick feeling I was in so much pain I got in the car drove home ankle swelled up massively um I had a friend who's a doctor but he's not a foot doctor like, oh don't worry just take some microphone over and strap it up you'll be fine mostly for my party so I did that um, and and it was really, you know anyway it was obviously bad um, and I think it was about five weeks out of out of Norseman and I just thought well you know I've trained you know what it's like you've trained so hard there's nothing that's going to stop you or pretty much nothing that's going to stop you doing the race so I just stopped running because um, I just thought well I'll just see what happens on the day um, anyway, long story short, I went to Norseman and did did Norseman, which was amazing. The run was brutal because unlike Patagon Man, it's the longest, you know, it, it was just, again, just really, really hot on the day. Unseasonably hot, like 32 degrees or something on this hot tarmac. Anyway, finished Norseman. Amazing. Loved it. Um, then went and did, I think, four marathons. So I did one marathon at Norseman. Then I did a swim run. Have you ever done a swim run, Charlie?
0: No, I haven't. I like this. There's a, there's a really um, brilliant sounding one in Cornwall, but, but no, I haven't. Oh yeah,
1: there's the, ho- is it a hokey-cokey one?
0: Oh, I think it's Man Against Coast, I think.
1: Oh, but, is it? Right. Well, there's there's, some, I, mean, I love it. swim run because I'm, a, you know, we talked about open water swimming, adventure swimming. Oh my gosh, I mm. love that. So I did a swim run in the Lake District, which was swimming in Coniston, Grasmere, Windermere. It was incredible. It was marathon distance run with nine kilometres of swimming
0: wow
1: nine or seven anyway
0: Brilliant. my foot
1: wasn't good but i finished that and then i did anyway long story short did, did loads of did loads of marathons did a marathon in namibia for sport relief
0: oh, is that? A, oh, no, 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 the Llewa, i was going to say the laywa marathon is in kenya isn't it but yeah uh,
1: over these sand dunes and eventually did the, the, the virtual london marathon in october last year and my foot was not good during all of those and eventually I just thought after that, I was like, right, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go see the doctor and see what's actually wrong with it. And he did a scan and he said, you know, I knew it was bad. Like I knew it was hurt. And he said, yep, yeah, you uh, snapped your ligament. You have pulled off some bone.
0: How oh, on earth were you doing all of those things? with? A
1: oh ligament? my <laughs> gosh. And, oh, uh, you know, there's no way, you know, there's no way but surgery really back from that because the bone was, of so probably too much detail sort of floating around my foot um anyway so um so i had the operation on that in november last year and you know my foot now is super foot because because basically when i was doing all those marathons all the time my foot would go over because i had no ligament can you imagine it would just like go over wow. super you know there was no control on my foot or my ankle um anyway so i had that done oh nearly a year ago and and it is great the foot is great but i'm still you know, of course, then you, you can't walk. I couldn't, I was only started to walk in sort of January. Um, I was really hoping to do the London Marathon this year, but I had just not got back to, you know, I'm just not, I'm so far from that. I'm sort of at 5K at the moment still. And that's a long recovery and it's boring and it's frustrating. And then I look at the hills and go, gosh, I used to just be able to get up in the morning and, you know, run, run 20, you know, run a half marathon in the hills and genuinely think nothing of it really. And it's you know you anybody who's had an injury will, will know that that's just hugely it's just hugely disappointing, isn't it? So, so I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And uh, part of my adventures of superwoman, you, I've got some amazing stuff planned with that. So hopefully, my hopefully this time next year, I'll be able to maybe run the London Marathon. That's my goal next year.
0: Brilliant. And it, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think you I certainly heard you say it before, and I think you said it earlier on in this podcast actually the running was the bit that you didn't enjoy and yeah. yet but, but then actually when you can't run you I think it's the bit when I can't run if I couldn't swim or I couldn't bike it's really annoying but I seem to deal with it better than when I can't run I think running seems even though I would have always described running as sport with the fun bits taken out uh, yeah. r- I really miss running if I can't do it I think it's it's just so good for you
1: it's, um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I didn't realise until my foot was operated on, actually, that I have, over those years, built up, like you say, a kind of love of running. Mm. Um, and you can walk, you know, of course you can walk, but there is something about all of them, really, um, and this is why I do more the long distances. There's something about being able to go very far, for me, very far in our beautiful environment we live in the UK, uh, under my own steam you see what I mean and I really miss that from running so um hopefully and I you know I'm not a fast runner but I just like to be able to go a long way I think that's what it is so we'll see so hopefully it will get better it really will
0: Well, I'm sure it will. And I look forward to watching what you achieve in the coming, well, coming weeks and months and years, because I have no doubt it's going to be a very, very exciting journey. Uh, Louise, it's been an absolute pleasure to get you on uh, and talk uh, about a subject that you're clearly incredibly passionate about.
1: Oh, thank you, Charlie. But thank you so much for asking me, because as you see, yeah, I love, you know, I'm a triathlete, you're a triathlete. We clearly love it. We clearly love talking about it.
0: Yeah, well, it's been absolutely brilliant. And yes, I wish you luck in all of your adventures that are on, on the horizon.
1: Thank you very much. I'm going to need it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure you'll agree that Louise's stories and enthusiasm for triathlon is really infectious. If you want to find out more about Louise, then uh, the easiest place is to go to our Instagram, and she's at Louise Minchin. And also, uh, if you want to find out more about Her Spirit, the community and the podcast, herspirit.co.uk is the best place to find it. And I encourage you to listen to some of her episodes too. Uh, and I wanted to welcome back uh, former guest and former guest co-host. But again, uh, another welcome back for Claire Fudge of Fourth Discipline. Um, so Claire is a nutritionist that specialises in uh, sports athletes Um, but in particular one thing that she's about to launch in January is group coaching so whether you're an age grouper elite athlete or a professional if you want to gain the edge on your performance through your nutrition and fueling you can join up with group sessions that she's starting in January and if you want to find out more about that email claire at hello at fourthdiscipline.com and that's the number four so four th fourthdiscipline.com and I'm sure she will be uh, delighted to share with you more information on that. So welcome back, Claire Fudge of Fourth Discipline. So welcome back, Claire. Thanks for joining me uh, again. What um, what did you make of that conversation with Louise?
2: I loved it. I love I love the fact that just the story of like how she got into triathlon and how she's kind of sort of found herself in like these extreme triathlons and all the challenges that she kind of um has put herself in I guess to, to a certain extent did it um,
0: did it take you back to when you first started triathlon today
2: you know, in, in a way it did um and actually it just kind of drew my attention to um the what well, happens to be in the news today about the the pop up on Tarn Hill up in North Yorkshire about everyone stranded up there and that's one of the hills that I used to train up when I lived in North Yorkshire and just her attitude towards kind of like not really knowing what she was doing at some of those races and just kind of turning up and going oh like how do you put the bike on the rack and and actually the not knowing sometimes is actually quite a good thing because it doesn't stress you out um and that that just kind of made me think about the times where I was kind of in North Yorkshire climbing hills and people would say have you done uh so-and-so hill and I'm like no and I just think, actually, I was so much better not to know what that hill was like. <laughs> um, and then her kind of like hiding in the me because actually the known becomes almost more scary. Um, yeah. I think when you first start out, um, and that's kind of what came across to me, when you first start out, it's kind of like a get on and do sort of attitude. And then actually, as you kind of progress in triathlon, you know, you know what to expect. And actually, you, you have more of... Um, Maybe you have more expectations of yourself, but you have, there's more of that kind of uh, pressure and kind of fear in a way, isn't there? And excitement as well. But.
0: It, you're right. I mean, for me, it was it was a bit like listening to a book in a way, in that it just took me back to the the um, the emotions that are running through you, and they are they're absolutely totally different emotions. You know, from your first triathlon to your second, to your third, yeah. it, it it's. Know that you know they've been nothing but positive experiences for me, but it, it was just really lovely chatting to her about it. And it because it, I think her, um, the way she tells stories around things like the portaloo or the Velodrome really, yeah. I mean, I, I can't believe that many people start their triathlon career in a Velodrome, but um, <laughs> but it was the kind of the principles around it that that spun out from it was, um, was yeah. I thought really lovely
2: and that kind of inner athlete. Um, because I didn't know she actually <laughs> swam like when she was a child or teenager. And the way that she kind of told that story about actually suddenly that inner competitive athlete suddenly came out, um, you know, about um, was it Dan who had said to her that I wouldn't I wouldn't let a girl beat me or something along those lines? And I thought that really sort of that really sort of hit home with me. I'm like, I'm absolutely one of those people as well. Yeah, um, so I, yeah. You know,
0: That was Bill Turnbull. Oh, was it Bill? It was Bill. But um no, you're absolutely right. And I think what what made it made me think is, particularly as I've got daughters that are teenagers at the moment, that there is that often that growing pressure, you know, amongst their peers to, to to actually stop sports at that age. And it it's such a shame it took her that long to kind of rediscover it again, I suppose. Fantastic that she did rediscover it. But I'm very conscious with with my daughters, and you know, they're they're younger than that at the moment, but in the coming years I can see that that could quite easily become a pressure
2: yeah no absolutely and I think I think having I think having also like talking about girls as well having more females because I think I mean like, there's probably some statistics but I think a lot more men continue don't they or boys that like, continue with yeah. or like where they're playing football and that's part of their sort of social kind of um that's their socializing as well and I think traditionally girls have kind of like stopped at a kind of you know, 17, 18-year-old age and then get back into it like kind of Louise did. Um, but I think because there's so much more um, talk and research into kind of females and um, females in sport, um, you know, and the rise in things like female football players, for example, um, you know, and it shouldn't have to be that way. But I think now that more, there's more female sports people that are really well known, I think that actually will be interesting to see whether that actually kind of transfers into more um females and and women kind of continuing um you know sort of throughout school and into university and beyond or wherever
0: but having people like louise that are in you know very much the public eye Mm -hmm. but seeing them because it was quite easy to follow you know i've watched bbc news or bbc breakfast on and off for, for years and years so it's been very easy sort of loosely to follow her going from the velodrome right the way through to doing her first triathlon to representing Team GB. So it is, um, you know, she will have inspired a huge number of of people to go on and do triathlon, which is is fantastic. And and I suppose, yeah, there's plenty of other people that would be in, uh, you know, in the limelight that would be doing the same thing.
2: And I think also her, um, you know, the age isn't a factor at all. And, you know, she was talking about kind of when she first sort of picked it up and it, the triathlon and then kind of getting into more of the extreme triathlons and her 50th kind of what am I going to do and oh it happens to be Patagonia man, you know, and actually and then her bringing in like about kind of menopause and things like that and her being in the limelight and talking about things like that in terms of that, you know, that their age doesn't stop us from doing things. And I think, you know, there's there are probably a lot of men and women out there that think, you know, I'm um, in my 40s or in my 50s or 60s even, I can't possibly take up something again. And actually um you know we hear some fantastic stories from people um you know that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, even racing, you know. So I think I think you know you're right I think her being in in the limelight will probably um you know it's probably inspired a lot of o- older age um age groups as well. I'm not calling it old by the way. Uh, <laughs> at all. age is not a factor but But, you know, maybe people that have done sport in the past and then sort of come come back into it or thought about coming back into it and thought, can't possibly get into like renal, you know. Um, So I think, yeah, absolutely inspiring. I mean,
0: I just find that it is amazing amongst the triathlon world that you can take up a sport in your 30s or 40s and then go on to represent your country. I mean, it just, there can't be many, there can't be many sports where that's possible. I just think it's, I just think that's... um, uh, absolutely incredible and um, I just need to continue I need I need patience and um <laughs> and time and uh yeah. assistance I think to have a chance but it is amazing
2: I, but I think that's the lovely thing about triathlon as well um is that you know there are three sports so that does mean that um if we get injured there's always another sport you yeah. know there's always something you can do and I think actually although I guess on two sides um it takes up a lot of time because you've got three sports on another side you know actually if you have got you are taking it up later on in life and you have got um, family or work commitments there's always something you can do you know there's nothing easier than if you're traveling to actually just take a pair of trainers with you and you can do your run sessions or um you know it might be a hotel swimming pool but it might be small but you can still do a session you know so I think triathlon does lend itself to um being able to train more or less wherever whenever um and kind of Semi-fitting around life as well, <laughs> um, but you can make it fit around life, and I think that's the thing. Um,
0: so, what about these extreme triathlons? Have you have you, you developed a, uh, a taste for doing a, an extreme triathlon? Do
2: you know? I have. When when they first sort of came about, that was one of the, one of the things that I looked at, and I thought, I you know, I would I would love to do something like that. The only thing that really puts me off is the cold. I I just not. I don't I, I think I've had the spirit of adventure and would absolutely grin and bear it and get through it and love it. But I, I don't know whether I would how I would be in that extreme temperatures for for most of those races. The water is freezing.
0: I was really intrigued that actually that didn't seem to impact Louise with her Reynards, that you know she almost went straight to the numb stage yeah. uh, as opposed to you know going spending as long in the screaming pain stage. Mm-hmm. Um, i'm sure i'm sure it still means it's painful but I was intrigued that you know she didn't wear gloves because her hands were going to go numb whichever
2: i wonder also like when she was talking about patagonia man like starting out in the dark i wonder if that makes there must be some psychology behind it whether it makes a difference whether because you can't see maybe everything around you whether it's almost easier to keep going because like time isn't going so slowly um I don't know, because you can't really see where you're going. You're just following people in front
0: of you. Swimming um, in the dark, though, in a in a lake that you know is home to Orca, uh, otherwise known as Killer Whales, uh, that must be quite intimidating, though. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does sound like, Patagon Man sounds like an amazing race. Yeah. Norseman, definitely. And, and Swiss Man I, I, is very much on my bucket list. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, yeah, well, and I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to her next book. I, I don't know if you, have you read um, Dare to Try?
2: I know, I didn't. I actually didn't realise she had a book out. But when, when you said that, and then she's writing another one, I was like, I have to look out for it now. So Something else to read. She talked about her piles of books by her bedside when she was working. Um, and I feel very much like that. I have things that I want to read and things that I should read. And I end up the should read file. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to read. Well,
0: the, the Dare to Try is just, a, it's just a really lovely, I mean, you've heard some of the, the, the stories from it, uh, um, you know, the velodrome, the the port-a-loo, those sorts of stories. Yeah. But it's it just, it's just a lovely book that takes you or took me back to when I started triathlon. Um, so uh, I I really enjoyed it. Um, but the, but her new book does sound sound really good. Now, one thing that did put me on the spot a little bit or caught me by surprise when I was um, when I was interviewing her. Literally, I think the day before I interviewed her, the Sun released the fact the, you know, the list of I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, um, uh, contestants are that, is that what they call that? I don't know. And so, so I, I I was totally oblivious to this because I'm, I'm not a reader of those sort of newspapers, but one of my friends said, said about it and I was like, oh, right. Okay. I need to ask her about this. (laughs) So I asked her about it and I get a total blank response. So Apparently, apparently when I spoke to her afterwards, I think the sun had leaked it and she wasn't allowed to Uh, to confirm or deny. But now that we are, now it's out in the public domain, have you been watching any of I'm a Celeb?
2: I haven't. But I actually, I do, again, like they're the kind of things, like the challenges that I think I'd put myself through. Like I love, I just love stuff like that. So it fits in very much with like everything that she was talking about on the podcast. Is that personality type, just to go and get stuck in and do it. Um, Have you watched, have you watched, Anyway. I've watched
0: little, so I've never watched an I'm a celebrity get me out of here but because Louise was on this one I decided I would watch and I've watched some of it. My daughters have been watching it avidly. And yeah. um, it's actually been um uh, they've they lost a few days to the weather haven't they. Yeah,
2: um, I could see that actually. But
0: I, I I know that Louise won the first um challenge which was um a, a high drop I think. And then I was watching one of the eating um Contests where they were eating everything from eyes to brains to pieces of body parts of bodies that won't best not mentioned now. (laughs) Um, but I, I mean, I think she's the sort of person that will do really, really well in that. And I, um, I think she will uh continue to you know because she's the sort of person that embraces the challenge, but also it's very easy to warm to her, isn't it? So I suspect that she will do very well, and I will be. I will be cheering for her, sort of overwinders. I'll I'll,
2: I'll get on and have a look. I think that's that athlete-like mindset as well, isn't it? Yeah. You you know, if you can put yourself through something, like some of these extreme triathlons, you just get through and you do it, don't you? So, you know, you must compartmentalise probably some of these challenges as well.
0: And, and just because of your area of expertise with regards to nutrition and hydration, um, I actually understand that Louise has worked with Precision Hydration quite a lot over the years. I didn't specifically talk to her about Precision Hydration, mm-hmm. but I was chatting to Andy um, at PH uh, afterwards, and he said that they've done quite a lot of work with mm-hmm. Louise to help her get over the the challenges that she had she had in in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, were, was there anything from a nutritional or um hydration point of view that you picked up in in the conversation
2: yeah she didn't she didn't talk too much about it i did pick up on the chicago bit about you know actually at that point where you're just really struggling and somebody else points out that you're really struggling um but you just take anything on board and you know you said about the coke that's always really interesting isn't it because it's actually you know one of the one of the kind of least effective things in terms of taking on nutrition and being able to absorb it that you could not least effective, but not particularly eff- effective. But actually, that's always our go-to. Like when we're not feeling particularly well, like actually the Coke seems to settle things down. um And you know, so I think at that point in time when you're racing, um you know, even if you haven't tried it out, she's probably better off to have had something rather than not yeah. rather than not have something. But um yeah, the lovely thing that I pulled out from it was the good British cup of tea um, <laughs> in, <laughs> in the Patagonia man because um that again that's the kind of thing that i can just you know i can just resonate with in terms of you know that her kind of seeing her husband and it had been a long a long kind of um, however many miles until she'd seen him and then all she wanted was a good cup of tea and then she'd be fine and she was on her way again um so yeah we so need tea flavored uh, tea flavored gels and drinks i think way forward
0: and and a flask of hot tea on the Ark Ultra.
2: Yeah, I'm considering this. I think I think this uh, I think this will be very comforting, actually. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think we have when you do endurance events, I think you have certain things that you do for comfort and not particularly for whether that's kind of psychological or um, you know from a physiological perspective in terms of putting an extra layer on or whatever it might be. Like there, there are these things I think we do to comfort ourselves in a, in a certain in a certain way. So it might be your, I don't know, your favorite pair of socks that you wear, or it might be something that you take on the bike. Like sometimes people take like a little kind of um mini sort of chocolate bar. Like it's not really going to do anything nutritionally, but that's all they really fancy. Um, or they want it at a certain point in time. Um, So I don't know if you've ever done that before racing, like in long distance races.
0: I, I haven't really. I've always been quite sort of scientific in it, but I, I suspect heading towards ultra marathons. I will lean towards uh, some more comfort food in there because you do be- just become, it becomes so monotonous having things like gels and sweet stuff and flapjacks and everything else, doesn't it? That actually the idea of, well, as, as the ARC 50s in Cornwall, the Cornish pasty might well make a, a, a feature, a part of, um, part of, a part of my uh, strategy, I think
2: nutrition fan interesting I think I'm um, it's interesting though because actually with my clinical background head-on as well you do actually get a real um taste fatigue that's yeah. really common and and you know you will know from doing long events that even varying the flavors and you go oh I've actually got a watermelon flavored gel that's amazing because all I could find in my in my bento box were orange flavors um, <laughs> whatever it might be so it's that kind of thing isn't it that it's just like that you just really want you know really want something different um, one of the things that I used to do when I first started racing, actually, is I used to um, carry some extra strong mints. Um, so I used to have those in my um, in my run belt um, or put in my pockets when I started running, just to clear my mouth. So it was like a you know, like a palate cleanser almost. Oh, yeah,
0: like a like a teeth. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, but actually, you could you could achieve the same thing with Kendall m- Mint Cake, I suspect.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. they they um. An interesting like actually I was um I was actually looking at Kendall Mint Cake, um, I think it was last year, and noticed that they do a whole host of gels now and sports bars and do that. Um, so it's very interesting. Oh, yeah.
0: we might have to research those on the yeah. on the arc.
2: Yeah. Um, so um, but that peppermint taste is um is really nice. And um there is there is a little bit of research actually um with um menthol in terms of a cooling effect of having um having that uh, peppermint taste or that minty taste in your mouth. Um, oh, that's interesting.
0: Maybe maybe yeah. we're going to have to be trialling some Kendall Mint Cake between now and yeah. then. So, um,
2: Although it has a cooling effect, Charlie, so, or supposedly does. I'm not sure we want to be any cooler. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, if, Anna, if Anna's three storms during that one day of racing is anything to go by, then... Uh, uh, yeah, we need to be a little bit careful with that, but um, it'll be fun. You see, that's
2: where the, the hot cup of tea will come into it even more then.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's Exactly,
2: that's exactly what you need to get through.
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, Claire, it's great to catch up with you as always, and um, I mean, I know, I know, I really enjoyed interviewing Louise. She's a lovely lady, but very much an inspiring lady too. Yeah, so, um, uh, I can't wait to see how she gets on with the uh, with I'm a celebrity.
2: Yeah. And the next book as well. That, that sounds really good.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, and I would definitely recommend the first book. Yeah. So thanks Claire. Lovely to catch up as always. And for everybody else, keep on training. If you've enjoyed this triathlon podcast, please do go to Apple podcasts and uh, rate it and review it. It massively helps us, uh, to deliver a better podcast, it helps people find it as well. So, yeah, go to Apple Podcasts, give us some feedback, give us a rating and a review, and please share it with your friends because ultimately that's what allows us to keep delivering more and more of these podcasts. And don't forget to download the Tribe Athlon app for more amazing podcasts, but also to help you train, compete, and to build your tribe.